Blog Talk Radio. Speech-Language Pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Today we have a really exciting show coming up because I have the pleasure of speaking with a mother who's also a speech-language pathologist, so what a treat. Thank you for joining me, Hannah. You're welcome. (laughs) So glad to have you here. And Hannah emailed me several weeks ago and told me about her little boy, Caden, and his history, and asked me some great questions about him, and I thought this is the perfect opportunity for us to be able to talk about him and what we're doing today, and I think I've talked to you about this, Hannah, I hope I've already talked to you about this, (laughs) but what we're doing is we're (laughs) taking the model from the 11 Skills All Toddlers Master Before Words Emerge, which is from my new therapy manual, Let's Talk About Talking, and we're just going to run through that checklist and see how many of these skills Caden has mastered and then look at what he still needs to work on, and so we're going to kind of, this is a great um, sample of how this should look or sound when you're working with new families that you're getting them. Let's say that you've already done your assessment, and if you're a mom listening of a child with a child with a language delay, this is the same kind of uh, procedure that you would use with your own child, especially if you get the book. Let's talk about talking, and you're walking through the checklist. So I think this is a great opportunity for us to kind of do this live and certainly it's going to serve Hannah pretty well too I think because this will give you some ideas for treatment and I think that's kind of where you've been struggling a little bit with Caden right now is kind of knowing what should I do next or what should I work on next but before we get into all that why don't you tell us a little bit about your sweet little boy and uh, fill us in on all just kind of a, a summary Hannah, with what's happened with him, because he has a pretty significant medical history. Right. Hello, everybody. Um, My name is Hannah, and like Laura said, I'm actually a speech pathologist as well, but I work mainly with adults, and I work in an acute care setting. So when I had Caden, I mean, everything was, I got all of my textbooks, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, where do we start? What do we do? Um, Caden is almost four and a half now. He was born in June of 2013. And he has a very rare diagnosis. Um, It only affects about 150 individuals in the world at this time. Um, His diagnosis is called MCM, which stands for macrocephaly capillary malformation. It's actually a very rare syndrome. Um, It causes lots of different things. But when he was born, he had brain overgrowth, um, low muscle tone. And then the more that we learned about what his diagnosis was, it also causes global developmental delay. Severity of the developmental delays vary from child and individual, um, from mild to severe. Caden, at this time, seems like he's in the more moderate category. We were told when he was born that he may never walk or talk, and he started walking when he was about two. He still is nonverbal. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, absolutely. It was, I know. It Let's was celebrate. Of- yeah, we have to celebrate that because <laughs> listen. Let me just stop and say this. I've spoken, especially since the last several years, when I have gotten the opportunity through Teach Me to Talk to meet families from all over the world. And so many parents are told right at the beginning, just kind of worst-case scenario, he's never going to walk, he's never Mm going to talk. And then, you know, we as parents just have to kind of dig really deep 
and think, okay, that might be what you think about this diagnosis for some other kid, but this is my kid, and I'm going to double down, and we're going to get the best possible outcome here. So fantastic. And I didn't know about his mobility. That's one of my questions that I had for you. So that's fantastic that he's walking. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad we took a minute to celebrate that because it's important. He's still a little unsteady. He's still a little unsteady, but... Um, and he can't, you know, climb up the steps and things like that yet, but we're still working on that, and I know that that will come. So we were – a lot of progression happened after he started walking, and, um, you know, he became yeah. more alert, he became more involved, and um, but the, the talking just still is not there, which as a speech therapist drives me insane. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, no. But – when he was about one, he was babbling, lots of different vowels, lots of different phonemes. Um, I have a video of him saying every phoneme you could think of. And then it all stopped. And it was about at age one that we realized he was having seizures. He was having myoclonic seizures, which are just a really tiny little jerk. It looked like it was a startle response. So I don't know. We don't know yeah. how long he'd been having the seizures because we may have just not noticed. Um, but then we started right. a special diet. And his seizures have been controlled on this diet for two years now. Um, But he's very vocal. He vocalizes all the time. But it's just the same kind of vowels. They're like exciting squeals, like ee, ee. And I can do turn-taking with him, and he'll do those back and forth with me. And he can say ah and mmm, like more. But it's it's, we've been stuck at that point for a year. Um, And so then... Our therapists were kind of were really focused on trying to get him to vocalize, and then I came across Laura Mize, and then found out she was only she was very close to my home, which was shocking. (laughs) (laughs) um, So we started looking at everything that you had to offer, and all of your we got this we got a copy of your building verbal verbal imitation in toddlers the levels. Um, one through eight, and we were looking at that, and we were like, well, according to this, we've we've passed too many stages. So we went back and we kind of used more of an ABA approach to really yeah. teach Caden actions with objects, like getting him to emit. And that's, this is my question for you. I don't know if he's really mastered it because when he, if I'm sitting down with him and I tell him to shake a rattle or to shake whatever I've given him, he'll do it. But if I don't say the verbal command, if I don't say, all right, Caden, shake, 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 then he some he won't always do it. So it's not truly he's just looking at me and then imitating what I'm doing. He also needs the verbal cue most of the time to do it. But you know, my take on that is I'm so happy with his receptive language that you can give yeah. him a verbal command and he follows it. So you know, if he weren't doing that, I would be more concerned. And so I get what you're saying about imitation. See, I think it sounds like it's an initiation issue. Like he doesn't, he's just kind of learned, hey, my game here is mom tells me what to do and I do it. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. Does it seem like that, does that ring true to you? Yeah, probably. Yeah. And I mean, there's times that like I'll, I'll try to not do the verbal cue. Yeah, I'll try to not do the uh-huh. verbal cue. And if it's something real simple, like clapping my hands, he'll do it. But some of the more advanced ones like um i don't know knocking on the door i can't he can't do that just imitating what i'm doing and i don't know if some of that's just fine motor delay too or that's what i was I about know. to say so how, let me ask you this when he and we're going to walk through all of these things in just a second but just quickly when he is just playing hannah does he initiate a lot of actions on his own or does is he just kind no. of a kid that 
is more he's just more his personality is just more laid back in general, a little bit more passive, right? Uh oh. I can't hear you, honey. I think the something happened with the sound. Are you still there? I can hear you. Hello. Okay, good. Hello. Now you're back. <laughs> you're back. Can you Don't hear know me? What now? happened there? <laughs> yes. Oh well. Um, something else about his diagnosis is a, a lot, maybe half of um, individuals with his diagnosis also have a diagnosis of autism. And Caden certainly okay. has a lot of those symptoms. He self-stims, he hand flaps when he's excited, um, his favorite toys are still light-up music toys, and he'll just yeah. sit there and he'll push. If it's, it's a toy that plays music, he'll just push it over and over and over again and zone out. Um, and That's their social fun, delays, huh? they're like... <laughs> For you. <laughs> yeah. He'll play with me yeah. and he'll play with dad, but um, yeah. other kids he's still not really playing with. So if you just get down on the floor to play with Caden, you're the one that's initiating everything. Like, oh, Caden, right. make the make the horse do this. Um, right. But his See, favorite play me, is still I just mean, to sit and play with the toy. Yeah, and so to me it seems like that that whole I'm not going to imitate you unless you tell me that that's not that I can't imitate because he does do it with the cue. It's just initiation, just like, hey, until, you, you know, you uh, unless it's like really super my idea, I'm not really going to mm-hmm. do it until I know what the expectation is. And, again, I haven't met him yet, so anything that I'm saying that seems off base to what, you know about him, please don't hesitate to say, no, that's not right, or, you've, you know, you're not reading this correctly, you're not understanding this correctly. But no, you're understanding. Really, okay. To me, it just seems like an initiation thing. And so, I mean, that just, that's part of the puzzle for him with, okay, so how do we get him to initiate? Because if we can teach him that little piece, then some of this other stuff is going to come a little bit more easily for him. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, I hadn't even thought about the initiation part of it. That's what drives Dad and I crazy. It's that, and I'm sure other parents out there will will relate, if I want to do laundry or do the dishes, I feel guilty because if I'm not the one that's interacting and engaging with Caden and trying to get him to do something else, he's just standing off in the corner, pushing his button, it's playing music, and he's perfectly content, but I know that that's not helping him in any way. So it's just exhausting as yeah. a parent to constantly be the one that's initiating everything. I know, but you know what? This is just where he is, and we've got to meet him where he is. And so I don't want you to feel too mm, – badly is not the right word. I don't want you to feel like, oh, gosh, I'm just going to kind of uh, – I bet you don't do this because you're a speech pathologist and you know better. <laughs> but a lot of other mothers do. I don't know. Well, I'm just going to just totally not jump in here. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to wait, 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 wait. And waiting is super important. But for, and we certainly want to be sure that we're doing that. And we'll talk about that piece when we get to the initiation piece. But for some kids, and especially how you're describing him, if you don't go ahead and provide that cue right now, you don't want him to regress. You don't want him less interactive. You don't want him less responsive. And in my opinion, that's what happens sometimes when we have these kids who are a little bit more passive by nature, when we think, well, we're just going to see what happens. And then before we know it, they've kind of lost some skills that they had because we weren't providing that level of support that they needed. 
So don't get mm-hmm. too hung up on that yet because where he is developmentally with what you're saying about him, even though he's four and a half, we have to kind of look at where he is communicatively. And so he's still really dependent on you to mm-hmm. make that initial um that initial step or that initial piece of communicating. And so I think that, I don't think that's, you know, potentially going I mean, to last forever. I think that's where he is, you know. I mean, you've just Go like, ahead. you nailed it on the head. I, I don't, I've just never even thought of the word initiation. It's, it's like that with everything. And I haven't said this yet, but Caden can do some simple signs. And um, for listeners, my husband and I um, got Laura's video and I'm a speech pathologist, so I can get, continuing education hours from it, but it was the steps to building verbal imitation in toddlers. But really, in looking at all of your your provided things, we need to go back one, and we probably need to be doing the one taking um, theory to the floor and things like that because I don't think you know what you need to be doing, Hannah? Here's the thing. It's this new stuff, and that's what we're about to do. Let's walk through, and I don't have okay. this out of course form yet. It's just in the therapy manual form. And have you... I hope you haven't bought that yet, Hannah, because I'm going to send that to you as my gift to you for you doing the show oh, and just opening up your yes. life and your child for us. But listen, this okay. is what you need to do. This is exactly where you need to be on this. So let's just start. Let's start with the first skill, and we're going to walk through it. And, again, this is perfect that you just said that because building verbal imitation, that whole level, that whole system that's like an expressive system so that's where that expressive treatment approach where where kids are again we've got to teach them how to imitate and all that but there are some things that come first so this is i love what you just said about that we've got to back up and do some other things and get i think get some other little pieces in place before we're going to be able to move forward and initiation is actually this is 11 skills these are the 11 pre-linguistic skills that all kids, regardless of their diagnosis or regardless of whether they're normal or a little bit delayed or have significant developmental delays, it really doesn't even matter about the diagnosis because we're looking at what these individual skills are. So let's just run through this list. And I've already kind of done this based on what you told me through the email. But let's just run through, and I'm just going to say what the skill is and get, ask you some little questions about it, and then I just want you to think about it in terms of yes, like he does this well, he does it often. So, you know, as speech pathologists, we consider that skill to be mastered. So yes, skills are mastered, and the no skills are things that you've never seen him do before or it's just hit or miss or, you know, just really, really rarely or minimally. And we've got that emerging category in the middle where he sometimes does it or he needs help to do it or cueing like you've already talked about. So let's just kind of run through this list, and we're not going to, you know, take forever and a day on it. We want it to be pretty fast because then we're going to take it and decide, okay, which of these skills are missing, and I want to be sure that before this hour is over that I'm giving you really two or three things per whatever we decide our treatment priorities should be so that you can get started on this at home. And let me just say, you're not going at this alone. He has a therapy team in place already, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Wonderful therapist. Yeah, and so what he services? He and speech. <clears throat> okay, good deal. And so that's important because I want parents to hear that too. Now, some parents, you know, we have listeners all over the world, and there are some parents who do not have access to services at all. And so this information is even more important for them because they are going in alone. But let me just say, if you're in the United States or anywhere (laughs) where you can get therapy as a parent, 
please don't try to do this stuff by yourself because it's always going to be helpful to have another set of eyes on your kid and be able to kind of see things and talk about things and tease things out that maybe you've never noticed before. And we've already kind of done that already because, Hannah, even though you're a speech pathologist, and as I told you before, it's like a separate job when you work with adults versus yes. children, but it's the same kind Absolutely. of skill set. Yeah, but you never really thought about the initiation piece, and your other therapists really have, you know, y'all may have brushed on that, but, I mean, to me that seems like it's kind of a key component for him as to sort of what's yes. missing communicatively. Mm-hmm. And so just having some, another opinion, and so that's what I really want to stress to parents right now. If you don't have your child in therapy services, you know, move heaven and earth to make that happen because it always helps to have somebody else come in with a fresh opinion and a fresh uh, way to look at things so that you can get some new ideas. So that's kind of my plug for therapy there. All right, so let's start with this first one, the very first skill that all kids master before words emerge, and this is at the very, very most basic level, is reacts to events in the environment. So Caden, does he, does is that a yes, a sometimes, or a no? How does he react to events in the environment, Hannah? Um, I would say yes and then sometimes. So it depends on what it is. Um, if it's a loud noise, if it's something that excites him, he's absolutely going to react to it. Like if his meemaw walks through the door, he's going to start squealing and, and self-stimming and walk up to her. If it's a child that he has no interest in playing with, they can walk in, he'll look at them, and then he goes back to whatever it was that he was wanting to do. So he's definitely aware of the environment. Let me, but see, listen, let's, let me kind of clarify this a little bit. You're talking about reactions to people, too, which we all kind of consider, but I'm asking just about things like toys, about environmental noises. Does he respond when um, he hears something kind of unusual? Does he explore new cool toys that you try to give him? Does he um, enjoy, like, different kinds of sensory experiences, like touching different things? I mean, he's... It sounds like to me he, he does. I mean, just based on what you've already said, I would give him a yes, but let's hear what you say. I would say, I would say yes. Like if he walks into the room and he sees his favorite toy, that's what he's going to go to and he's going to walk over there and find it and push it. But if it's something new that doesn't light up and doesn't sing songs, he shows no interest. He will look at it, but he's not going to explore it. If I set out like a new barn toy with okay. lots of animals, no exploring. Okay. You know what that is? That's initiation. That's back to that initiation. I know. That's, I was thinking the same thing. I know. It's, that's what it is. And see, that's that, that same, and can you, I mean, this. we might be going through this whole list and saying, oh, that's, the, you know, he's not doing initiation. all of this completely mastered like we wanted to because he he's not initiating. So we're going to give him a yes on this one, but we're going to put a little star by it in the sometimes category too because that initiation piece we think may be affecting some of that. He has to really understand what it is and like it and want right. to do it before he's going to really, really react. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. Skill number one, we've got him between a yes and a sometimes. Skill number two, responds to people when they talk to or play with him. Yes. All right. I would Especially say like he, he's definitely going to, he's right. He's going to respond to his aide at preschool, his me, mom, mom, and dad, 
a lot more than others. But if anyone walks up and, and talks to him, he will at least acknowledge them and look at them, but he's not going to be as engaged with those people. And that's completely normal, too. I mean, even when you're great right. with kids, you know, I I can get most kids like to play with me if we're both waiting in the line at Walmart, but there are some kids who are naturally more shy, naturally more reserved, and when, you know, a person starts talking to them, they're naturally going to react to their moms or their dads or people that they know and love better than they do this woman they've never seen before. You know, so, again, that's pretty normal. That's pretty normal. So I'm I'm so happy he has that great um, foundation there because, in my opinion, this responding to people, I mean, that's the, that's the starting point. So if anybody else is listening to this show and you're thinking, oh, my kid's not so great with that, you know, close the book. You've got your first goal <laughs> because social yeah. interaction is so important. So I'm so glad that he's doing that with familiar people. And we're going to mark that as a strength for him too um, because a lot of kids okay. don't have that, especially kids who have red flags for autism. So that's fantastic that you've uh, worked real hard on that and gotten that going, that responding to people piece. And that's why I want him right. to come see you because when I watch you, I know that he would just fall in love with you. He loves people that are bubbly and playful, and, and he'll do anything that yeah. those people want him to. He's he's a very good therapy candidate because if you are engaging, then he'll do whatever you want him to. Oh, well, I can't <laughs> wait to meet him. I hope we can work that out. We'll talk about that later. We will not talk about that on the show. <laughs> <laughs> but good deal. I'm glad he's got that, that good thing. All right, let's move on to skill number three takes turns with you during interaction. So this is that he participates in extended back-and-forth exchanges with others. And by extended, I mean, you know, that he's going to do, you're going to be able to go back and forth, you know, three, four, or five times. And you said that he's, you're doing that with vocalizations already, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it's okay, not always the target, but he will at least go back and forth with play. If it's something that he really enjoys, he will do it. Um, like, and this was the reason I brought up that video that you had made, the steps to building verbal imitation. You talked about in that video how you would, ta- and you showed a clip of it, you would take blocks and you would bang them together and you'd say bang, 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 and then you'd do something to see if they would imitate the motor movement of going up or touching the knee. And so I started doing that since I watched the video, and he will, he loves it. He'll go back and forth with me for, gosh, awesome. He'd do it 30 times, but he can't always imitate the motor movement. <laughs> so, but, but yes, he loves that game. Yeah, and you know what? The, I wouldn't, I'm not too concerned about that because we're just looking at the communication piece. Now, if you were doing the show with the physical therapist or with the occupational therapist, <laughs> they, of course, are going to be more worried about the accuracy of his motor movements. But for me, you know, I'm looking at it communicatively. And so even if he's off target, you know, and at this point, we don't even care what the sound is. And this doesn't even have to always mean something verbally. Certainly we want him to get there because that's taking turns with some with other people. Our primary way of doing that communicatively is through conversation. But it has to start non-verbally first. And you've just given some fantastic examples of that with a toy or with another kind of action that he likes. He'll do that and not only will he do it for you know a time or two he doesn't fatigue with that he keeps going so that's perfect and that's a big strength for him so we're going to mark that as a strength too so that's definitely a yes and then a strength all right number four pays attention to an activity for about five minutes and here we're looking at just that developing a longer attention span 
And so, but I want to say, I want to kind of put a little, well, you answer, and then I'm going to say a little caveat about this. So how is his attention span, Hannah? Well, he stayed with an activity like normal for a toddler is three to six minutes, you know, kind of on his own, and especially if it's something that's familiar and that he likes. So how's he doing with that? That was going to be my question. Can it be something that he that he is really going to enjoy? Then yes. But if I'm introducing something new that he's not really into, um, then probably after one minute he's going to want to just drop the toy. Like if I put it in his hand, he's just going to want to drop it. But if it's something that that he enjoys and that we've played with a lot, yes, he'll he'll play for for five minutes before losing interest. Yeah, and. So I would give him credit for that, but we'll put a little caveat with with when things are new, he's always going to love that. I apologize for this beep that's coming in. I guess I forgot to turn off call waiting with this phone, so sorry about that. (laughs) It'll go away in a minute. Sorry. But, you know, and again, let me just say this, too, for other parents who are listening. All of us prefer to do things we like. All of us (laughs) stay with things we like longer than things we don't like. So part of that's human nature. But some kids are so busy and so dysregulated that they really can't sit and play with something, even that they like, for more than a minute or two because their little bodies just dictate that they get up and crave movement. So that, And there are lots of reasons for that. They don't know where their body is in space. They have that kind of – they're just on that internal – higher kind of throttle where they have to be doing something or um they they just kind of again they're not they're not as regulated they're not as participatory unless they're really getting lots and lots of input in their little bodies and so they crave that so they're constantly in motion or constantly looking for the next new thing the next new thing the next new thing but it sounds like if it's something that he's familiar with which kind of plays into the initiation piece if he doesn't know what it is you know mm, you're going to have to really get him ready and prep him mm-hmm. before he really knows what to do with it or enjoys it right mm-hmm. yeah and so but i would i would say if it's uh just kind of a normal play routine he's fine with that right so about five minutes and that's he can honestly stay with that. yeah he's honestly he's in preschool um four days a week for three hours, and it's just been within the last couple of months that he's probably been able to engage for that long. So he's probably just got to where he's doing that. So that's, yeah, that's a yay. That is a yay, and it's a big deal, and a lot of parents who are listening to this will say, well, my kid never stays with anything for more than 30 seconds. And so, you know, if that's, again, the case, if a mom is walking through this kind of thing, you know, that, and you're you're saying, you know, any mom who's out there listening saying, well, that's, you know, my kid can't do that, you know, put a big star there because, again, that's an area where we're going to look at because if a kid can't stay with you long enough, he can't learn anything from you. You know, none of us, we all have to be able to focus and listen (laughs) and again if we don't have even that visual attention in place we're not going to get it auditorily or hearing it and that's what that's how we learn words we hear that's how we link meaning to things we have to hear it and again that does not happen unless a child has an ability to stay with an activity for at least five minutes and and that's the evidence-based number i didn't just pull that out of a hat there's a study gosh i've got it linked on my website probably 50 times where it talks about, uh, it's by a, a researcher named Gartner, 
and it's not a speech pathology study. It's just kind of an in general pediatric study. And three to six minutes is what we're looking at there. So I'm so glad. And I love to hear you say that that's a recent development because mm-hmm. that just shows you that your hard work's paying off. And before he might not have been able to do that, you know, six months ago, a year ago, but now you're seeing that and that's gotten better. So perfect. And perfect. it used to. And and for other parents, too, that aren't speech therapists, and and I'm an adult, I work with more adults, so it's hard for me to get into that playful mindset. But he's, Kaden will definitely participate for a lot longer if I'm being very um, bubbly and using my super fun mom voice and <laughs> my high-pitched voice. And um, so some parents may not be able to get that out of themselves and so their child may not be as engaged as long or even some therapists but you know they just don't have that in them they don't have that that fun bubbly voice and interaction and I just think it makes a big difference when especially when I'm working with Caden and see and I love for you to say that because a lot of parents will say and I you know they'll say just flat out after especially if and this was you know now I really only see kids whose parents have sought me out and they found me through the website or you know, I'm not really meeting anybody who doesn't know my work or whatever. And so they kind of, even then, I may meet them for the first time, and sometimes parents just are on overload themselves. They'll say things like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't know I had to try so hard. Whoa, mm-hmm. you know, mm, I don't know if I can be like this all day. And so that's a really, really important point about just really, I call it, you know, ratchet it up a notch. You've got to just amp it up. And and some yep. therapists who don't do early intervention will say things like, that's not conversational, that's not um, adult-like or whatever. And, you know, my response to that is just what you said you got to do what works. And for so many right. kids, that over-the-top, super playful, super bubbly, and in my DVD, Teach Me to Talk, you know, that I did like 10 years ago, that's the very first strategy that I try to make sure every parent <laughs> understands is that you've got to put in a ton of effort. And it is hard at the beginning, but it gets easier and easier and easier as you do it over time, and then it's real reinforcing to the parent when they see, oh, my gosh, my child is responding so much better now um, because right. I have amped it up. Yeah, and so I, lo- I love your description of that, so that's just perfect. Thank you for saying that. You're going to feel silly. Just just do it. <laughs> yeah, just do it. do it. Just do it. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> I'm so dramatic by nature. I mean, I can't imagine not doing that, but I've worked with lots of other therapists, and, oh, gosh, you know, lots of parents who have really, really struggled with that. And they really feel kind of fake at the beginning. And they feel Mm -hmm. like, again, this is, you know, totally out of character for me. But you just got to, like you said, just make yourself do it and just persevere and watch other people who do it well. And if you're working with a team of therapists, surely there's going to be one or two therapists on a team who are like that, again, by nature, and the rest of them, I hope, <laughs> turn it on a little bit. Follow because it is such, <laughs> Yeah, it is such an important strategy to use. And it's, you know, I always think, gosh, almost anything in life is just kind of showing up <laughs> and just making sure that you are present and fully mm-hmm. engaged. And especially for kids who are, aren't uh, great initiators, you know, that's something we have to do. We really have to kind of draw them out. And so that's your the easiest thing to do is make sure before we change the kid that we change ourselves and that we really, really yep. get in there and play and, 
and act like we're having the time of our life, even if we're not, and even if it's not coming naturally, just do it, and over time it'll it'll feel a lot better. All right, so great, great point there. Yep. All right, skill number five. This is about joint attention, so shifts and shares attention with others. So the biggest indicator here, Hannah, is will he direct his attention to something that you're trying to get him to look at or listen to? He's He's pretty good with that, right? Um, I would honestly give him a sometimes on that. Oh, would you? Okay, um, good. You're so honest I don't. That. And he does have red flags for autism, so that's that's something yeah. where a lot, a lot of kids who have those red flags really, really struggle with. Like he loves books. I can be reading him a book, and and he loves the the auditory part of it. But me getting him to look at the pictures, um, constantly like using my finger to tap the page and tell him to look at the page, look at the pictures on the page, or um, okay. he's still he's still at a point where I can say like, look at the look at that tree. You know, like we walk into someone's house and there's a big Christmas tree, and I'll say, Kate, look at the Christmas tree. He doesn't just look and find the Christmas tree. I'll really over-exaggerate my arm movements to get him to to see what I'm pointing at. And that's just been recently that he'll even look at what I am pointing to. Okay, good deal. So there's good progress there, but that's a sometimes, so that's a skill that's emerging, and it's something that we can still really, really probably do some other things to make that better. And let me just tie this in. With joint attention is so important because that's if kids aren't looking at what you're talking about, <laughs> they don't link meaning to the word. And so if they don't link meaning to the word, then it's just not useful for them. And so they'll never say it until they really, really mm-hmm. understand what you're talking about conceptually first. And I know that makes a lot of sense to you as a speech-language pathologist with receptive language, but for parents who are listening, you know, kids always always learn to understand words before they really use those words to communicate. Now, some kids who are on the spectrum and who are really verbal, they're echolalic, they repeat the word without really understanding what it means. That's a totally different issue, but that's why joint attention is so important because we have to get kids to the point where when you're showing them something or when you are telling them something that they are focused on you and what you're talking about. And so again, that's that's an area where we see a lot of kids a lot we see a lot of kids struggle with that and we see a lot of parents miss it because they don't really realize they just think because their kid is naturally there in the room with them and they're talking about something they don't always get that their child isn't really understanding exactly what they're referring to. But you've given some great examples with that, with how you really have to look and pay attention to him and then cue him when he's not really attending to what you're talking about. And and that's just the and first strategy. <clears throat> Go ahead. Something that, Go ahead. Something else that he does that's more with his autistic characteristics is when I, if I go back to reading him a book, he loves that I read, he loves listening to it, but he loves his books, so he knows every word of every book that he loves and he likes to listen to it, but I'll look down, if he's sitting in my lap, I'll look down and he's got his fingers up and he's just staring at his fingers and he likes to do that all the time. It's a form of his self-stem, but he'll just be staring at his fingers, so I have to grab his hand and put it on the book and say, you hold the book, look, look at the page. Yeah. But, yeah, so he'll yeah. go to self-stem in, in situations like that. So it's constantly I have to be looking at Caden to see is he even attending to what we're talking about because he'll just sit there and not you don't realize that he's not really attending. 
And a lot of kids will do that too. They're playing with their toy and we're just sitting there and we are talking about the toy and we are just providing the best language input, just like you described. But when you really pay attention to the kid, you realize, oh my gosh, he's not getting any of this. You know, he has, he, <laughs> I am, I might as well be, you know, the background noise because he is focused yep. on something else. So that's so great that you are tuned in and are constantly trying to kind of pull him back and you said something so great there you realize when he's stemming like that with his fingers you give him a job you give him something else to do with those little hands so that Mm -hmm. he's more engaged what's going on around him instead of kind of in his own little world there so great great example there fantastic it sounds like we scripted this show out before (laughs) i promise we we did it because you are (laughs) what did you say i said i promise we didn't (laughs) No, no, not at all. But but that's a fantastic example with that. And any other parent who's listening and you think, well, my kid has kind of checked out during this, or maybe you haven't even realized that your child has checked out. You're just thinking, well, I'm just going to talk about whatever he's paying attention to, and it doesn't really matter if he's not looking at me. It doesn't really matter if he's not looking at what I'm talking about. Yes, it does, (laughs) because he is not going to be able to. Yeah, to link that meaning until until you're really both there and you're connected and you're paying attention to the same thing. Okay, so that's the sometimes, the skill number five, that joint attention piece. All right, skill number six, plays with a variety of toys appropriately. So you've mm-hmm. already said that if it's something he likes, and you've already said that he likes his music toys and things that light up, but is play hard for him with a, yes. like a variety of toys, like, I would I wouldn't even probably give him a sometimes because of the variety piece. He will play with toys that all he has to do is push the button and then okay. the toy lights up or sings. If it's anything other than that, he will not walk up to it and play with it and explore it by himself. Will he do it though with assistance? Like if there's something that that like different actions with toys, will he? If you're there and you're saying, "Oh look, Caden, let's pull, let's put like, um, let's just use an example." Like, uh, well, you give me some examples, Hannah. Of if I'm where, go ahead. If I'm really engaging him and I'm initiating everything, um, I can get him to play with cars. Like I can do it, and then I can get him to do it. And he'll if I make noises, like if he puts the car on the track and then it go, and he pushes it down and I say, wee, then he'll smile. But he's not going to uh-huh. get really into it and grab the toy and want to do it again and again and again unless I'm the one that's telling him, okay, let's do it again. Put your car up here. Okay, wee. Um, we know so what that he is will, he, <laughs> Yep. Absolutely. That's part of his initiation too. Yeah. You know, but let's talk about, too, motor. I mean, how is his fine motor control? We've talked about his gross motor, that he's walking, but he still has some, uh, you know, steadiness issues. But how how are his little hands when he's playing with, uh, you know, stacking blocks? Can he do a puzzle? He's doing things like that still in occupational therapy, Um, more things that probably a one- to two-year-old would be doing, but he's finally mastering them. It was just been a couple weeks ago that he got his finger on one of his favorite little toys that makes noise and lights up, but he put his finger down by the on button and pushed it to turn it on, and that was a huge celebration. So (laughs) um, there are definitely fine motor delays, but um, he is able to pick up a car and put it on the track and, Um, roll a ball back and forth and things like that. Okay, that's good. And see, he has the fine motor piece there too, but there's also the cognitive piece with play. And that's just understanding 
and figuring out and remembering how does this toy work, um, what do I have to do to make this fun. And, again, I think there's probably two different things going on there. It's the fine motor piece and the initiation piece. If I don't know what it does, it sounds like he's going to kind of be take it or leave it with – uh, something until he really, really knows he's going to like it and it's going to be worth his effort to want to mm-hmm. do it. I mean, would that be the correct characterization for him? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And OT's working on that, so we're going to kind of put that as a no, knowing that you're already working on that, and that, that but that's an area where <laughs> we need to really pay attention to because, again, kids really learn so many important cognitive concepts through play, and it's not just about the fine motor piece, but when kids have motor delays, that really complicates play. You know, it just puts another layer of uh, difficulty on that because even then, even mm-hmm. when they want to do it, their little bodies don't always cooperate. And then if they don't understand right. it, that makes it even more difficult. And then if they have the initiation issue, which it sounds like is part of a big piece of this puzzle here for your little guy, you know, that makes it even, that's a third layer of difficulty. So play there is going to be something where he's really, really going to need a lot of extra help with to kind of get that going. All right, so skill number seven, this is receptive language, understands early words and follows simple directions. And so he's doing a lot of one-step familiar commands pretty well, Mm -hmm. correct? Yes. Um, if you ask his meemaw, if you ask his meemaw, she's one of those that will say, he's just so smart, he understands everything. But that's not true. Um, (laughs) and I think a lot of, and as a therapist, I know a lot of parents will say that and, and you think, well, and I have to tell her, I'm like, well, that's not true. He's still, I mean, you think about a child at one, when they want something, they're going to point to it and they're going to grunt and they're going to tell you they want it. And, and Caden still does not do that. So, but on the other hand, he does. He, he seems there are so many um, simple commands he can follow. But, again, I think a lot of those have been taught. I don't know that he just picked up on them and learned them like a typical child would. It took a lot of us repeating the the command over and over and over again for him to understand it. Um, and then well, I can, I've got part. not consistently. So he knows them. But if you give him a doll and tell him to point to the nose, he he may get it right half the time. He's very inconsistent. Okay. Okay. So receptive language he, is still in, emerging too. Yeah. Yes. We work on That's pictures. Fine. I've gotten him. I've gotten him to where I can hold up four pictures, uh, like a field of four. And if it's pictures that we've went over before and he's been taught, he can get that with almost a hundred percent. If it's you know just things that you would teach a one- to two-year-old, sure. um, but sure. not actions really yet or anything like that. And that's okay because that's just where he is developmentally, language-wise. And here's the, here's the strength for him, and you've already said it a couple of times, but I want to make sure that other parents are hearing that. You know, kids with typically developing language do just kind of learn language by being there. They just pick it up. They just get it. It's You know, that's what typical language development is. You don't have to really work too hard. They just naturally are in tune to other people and um, have good listening skills and they make those connections. But kids like Caden and lots and lots and lots and lots lots of other kids with language delays really do require that extra effort. And like you've already said, hey, he's a good learner, but you got to really teach him first and really right. make sure that you have reviewed and reviewed and reviewed. And the good part about that is with repetition, he's doing great with that. 
you just have to go out of your way to make sure that something's meaningful. Right. So we're going to give him a sometimes on that receptive language piece. And does, okay. does that sound accurate to you? Yep. Yes. Okay. Skill number eight, vocalizes or makes sounds purposefully. You've already talked about this. He's really vocal, but he has such a limited repertoire of what he can say, variation-wise, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Okay. okay, so he's got some vowels, and you said he's got that one good consonant with an M. Any other sounds that he makes consistently? I, what Caden will do when he's very excited is he'll go e e e. Um, he'll say ah e. So he says ah. Uh -huh. He says e. He says mmm. Um, there are times that he will babble mama, even still, uh -huh. and you would think that he's whining and he's wanting me, but I, I still don't think that it's ever really intentional um, because I can yeah. say okay, Caden, say mama, and he it, it's never there. Um, but he makes lots of squeals, lots of happy whines, or lots of happy squeals, and then lots of whines and lots of different inflections, but it's still always just ah uh, or e or mm. It's always those three sounds, really. Okay. And he does initiate with those, right? He'll do that in response. Mm -hmm. you know, he'll, you don't always have to cue him. He he begins uh, vocalization. Right. He initiates those. Okay, mm -hmm. good deal. Very good at that. All right, skill number nine, imitates actions, gestures, sounds, and words. We're going to give him kind of a reserved yes because he'll do the actions mm -hmm. that you've taught him. And how is he with gestures? That's the next one. We'll just kind of lump on into that. Uses early gestures like waving and pointing. How's he doing with that? Those those also had to be taught. So it was after I, I read one of your first things that I had ever read and I saw the the eight levels, and the first one was, level one was actions with objects. So I just made goals for all of those objects because he could not do any of them at age two. He couldn't wave by. He couldn't blow a kiss. He wouldn't push a car. He wouldn't roll a ball. So I did more of like a ABA-type therapy where I would yeah. he would have to do three actions with me, and then he'd get a reward. He'd get a, like a little bite of cheese. Um, uh -huh. And so I just taught all of those. So now he can, but like I said big. before, he still yeah. needs uh, that verbal command a lot of the time. Yeah, and that's okay. And listen, let me just say the whole ABA thing and just the lots and lots of repetition and trials, some kids need that. That's just their learning style. And it is um, you found what works for him. You know that he's just going to need that direct one-on-one -on -one teaching with lots of repetition. And that's why that approach is so successful because especially with kids with autism, I mean, ABA really is the only recognized, you know, evidence-based, without a doubt, most support for kids who have red flags for autism and kids who are already diagnosed with autism because that's just their learning style. They have to have tons and tons and tons of exposure and lots of practice, and they don't always learn something new unless there's a pretty big reward that comes immediately after so that they can link uh, what's happened. I did this, and then you gave me this. I did this, and then you gave me this. And so I think that it's fantastic that you kind of switched gears <laughs> and went for more of that kind of approach. And you can see how successful that's been for him because mm -hmm. you've said over and over, I've taught, we've had to teach it, we've had to practice, you know, that he's yeah. only doing it because we really, you know, and that's okay, you know, because – and some parents find that exhausting. They feel like, oh, my gosh, am I going to have to teach him every single thing like this for the rest of his life? 
who knows? A lot of kids kind of right. get past that, you know, once they get a little more language. But I'm so glad that you keep bringing that up and that you've been so consistent in your methodology with how you've taught him because it sounds like to me that that's what's made the big difference for him. Um, I actually I had a – he'd been in speech therapy for two years and still couldn't wave by or clap his hands or do anything communicatively, expressively. And a colleague of mine that had done more pediatric um, therapy in her past, you know, brought that up to me and said, why don't you, you know, give him a piece of paper, put three blocks on it, and he has to do three things, and then he gets a reward. And she was describing ABA to me. I didn't know it at the time. and. Yeah. She kind of helped me start all of that, but it, that's another good point for professionals and and parents. Sometimes what you're doing just may not be working for your child at that time because because we exactly. hadn't seen the progress that we did until we switched gears and started teaching. Because we were just trying to do, you know, in play, try to wave five, but Caden needed more repetition to to eventually pick up yeah. on. Exactly, and that's why I like to think about the stuff that I do is kind of a hybrid between something really structured mm-hmm. like APA, but still keep it super fun so that it's more play-based and more routine-based, but at the same time you're giving kids enough opportunities to really, really master a skill and not just mm-hmm. try something one or two times and then move on thinking either they have it or they don't. You know, some kids just need so many times for practice before they can possibly begin to do it. And so I'm so glad that you discovered and kind of even, you know, that your friend was there to say, hey, why don't you try something different? And here's the thing. You didn't know Caden's learning style before uh, you stumbled on that either. You didn't know. Gosh, he's just going to need it to be super uh, focused and that I'm going mm-hmm. to have to be almost rigid in how I present this to him or he's not going to learn it. And so that's that's right. great that you've said out about him. Yeah. All right. So that was number 10. And so we're going to just give him – Will he wave bye bye? Uh, if you Hannah, if you if somebody waves to him, like Mima waves to him as she's leaving, does he wave bye bye back to her without a cue? Yes. Mm-hmm. He has recently okay. started doing that. Yep. <clears throat> so, and give me some examples of other gestures that he'll do. Does he? You mention blows, kisses. You mention how, how he will blow. He will. Some oh, sorry, really basic ahead. ones that he. Some really basic ones that he will truly just imitate. He doesn't even need the verbal cue. Would be waving by, blowing a kiss, um, clapping his hands if something's exciting, and I'm like, yay! And I start clapping, then he'll clap. Um, patting a drum. He thinks drums are so funny, and if I do it, he will do it. So some oh. some things he has started truly imitating the action. Okay, good deal. But is he using those communicatively? just in, like, normal everyday life? Like, will he point to let you know that he wants something? Mm, no. He will not point. Okay. Just in the past week, he walked up to a toy that was out of his reach and kind of was, he was reaching to get it, but he wasn't trying to get my attention to let me know, hey, I want this. But he will wave, he will wave by communicatively. That's, yeah. He will wave by communicatively, but that's probably about it. I am by. Okay. So we're going to put that as a sometimes, his gestures. It's coming, but it's not yeah. where we want it to be quite yet. And then this last one we have said over and over and over, 
this skill number 11 is initiates interaction with others to get his needs met or to play. And that's going to be a no for him because it sounds like that he is just really content to kind of sit there and wait you out <laughs> and wait until you uh, take the lead with that. Correct? The only thing he would, I would probably give him a sometimes on that just because his favorite thing in the entire world is to sit and watch Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and if he wants it, he will come find me or dad or Mima, and he will whine, and then he'll walk over to his chair and sit down and sign Mickey Mouse. But that is the <laughs> only instance that he will do that. That is really cute. <laughs> how does how do you all sign Mickey Mouse? He taps. He takes both hands to his head and taps his head twice. Oh, it's so supposed to be. It's supposed to be. Yes. Did he come up with that on his own, or did you modify that sign and teach it to him? I I started because it's supposed to be ears on the head, like you're supposed to cup your right. hands and touch your head and then touch your nose. But I started cupping my hands to my head, and he just started tapping his head. And I was like, hey, you know what? That's good enough. <laughs> so. Good enough. And listen, let's just emphasize that for parents not so much therapists, but some therapists are too much of a stickler about accuracy. And I just want to say if a parent can recognize what a kid, what sign or gesture a kid is using for something, that is good enough for me. If it's consistent and, and, it's, and a kid is not now, sometimes a kid will use the same sign or gesture to mean, you know, 15 different things. That's not good mm. enough. But when there's something that's super specific like that, even if he's not cupping his hands for, you know, the real kind of what you introduce as a sign for Mickey Mouse, but you recognize, man, he taps his head twice, that's perfect. So I just want to emphasize that to mm-hmm. other parents too. And to therapists, don't be so much of a, you know, hard-nosed Stickler. person there that you're always, yeah, stickler, that you're always really going for perfection when we really should just be looking at what a kid can do that's consistent and communicative. All right, so we've got a good list here. So out of those 11 skills, one, two, three, four, five, six, six of those we gave him yeses on. So he's reacting to events in the environment. He's responding to people. He's taking turns with you during interactions. His attention span is moving along. Um, oh, you know what, we probably put receptive language. We kind of gave it between a yes and a sometimes. He is vocalizing and making some sounds perfectly or purposefully, which is more like a sometimes too. So those were his strengths. The nose here, we kind of left it with play, which OT is really, really addressing. And But then he's got a lot of these skills, Hannah, which are in that sometimes or emerging category, joint attention, the receptive language piece, vocalizing only because he understands how to do it. He just doesn't have enough vocal variety yet, doesn't have enough sounds there. Um, Imitation, he'll do it, but he has to have the verbal cue with it. Using gestures, he's got some things going, but not quite as many as we want to see. And then initiating interaction is the big one. I feel Mm -hmm. like by listening to what you're saying about him, um, because we'll do it, but only if it's only like in that really specific situation that you just described as Mickey Mouse. So that's kind of where he is. So let's talk about this for a second when we prioritize treatment goals for kids. Sometimes therapists think and parents think, well, we're just going to go with all the no's, what he cannot do. And especially 
for a kid like Caden, he doesn't have too many things that were complete no's. He's just got a lot of emerging skills. And so we always want to think about starting with what kids are already trying to do or what is, is inconsistent because you know that the ability is there. They just need more support and more practice to make those things really, really mastered. All right, so, but here's another kicker. For kids like Caden, he's got out of these 11 skills, one, two, three, four, five, six of those we listed as sometimes which you're all, it sounds like you're trying to kind of work on a lot of those at the same time, which is fine, but it may be too much. It may be so much that you're overwhelmed, or and you're a therapist, so you're probably not, but a lot of parents you, and a lot of kids, you just can't work on, you know, 15 different goals at once. It's just too hard for everybody. So what I would mm-hmm. want to do for him is pick out the one or two skills from these 11 and really double down on those and decide, okay, this is what we're really, really going to focus on communicatively because if we can just get in over the hump with these couple of things, other skills just sort of start to emerge. And you're already seeing that. You said he's got, he's made a lot of progress lately with joint attention and he's made progress with um, using his early gestures like waving and pointing and so those are great. And then I think the other, if we were going to pick out another kind of focus for him, working on that initiation piece to me seems like that that would provide so much growth over lots of lots of these areas, just kind of based on what you said about him. So okay. does that make sense to you that you would pick maybe you're still going to work on everything you're doing because God knows for you've been working yourself silly. <laughs> you know, his, well, and- he's four and a half, so for four and a half years, <laughs> But I would probably pick a couple of those and just really double down on it. Now, again, does that mean that his OTPT and speech pathologist won't work on other things? Absolutely not. You're not going to stop them from what they're doing in therapy. But at the same time, I think if you can be super focused on just a couple of these things, it will make a lot more difference because you'll be able to see faster progress than when you're you know, trying to work on a lot of different areas. Does that make sense? And that's what I and that's what I tell my husband all the time. And I I'm a speech therapist, but I definitely get overwhelmed with with everything with Caden because there's fine motor, there's gross motor, there's the speech, there's the receptive language. It's and I, I think it's that we I ask my husband constantly if we were to focus on one of these things that we say we're going to do and really focus on that. I bet he would have mastered it by now. But we start something. And then we get distracted by something else, and we start working on something yeah. else. So yeah, I think it would definitely be better yeah. to narrow it down. <clears throat> That's what I would do. And just based on what you, what we've talked about today, out of all, out of these things, I mean, I I would I would pick a couple of these things. And receptive language, always, you always want to make sure kids understand so that they. So you want to be sure that receptive language is right up there. But beyond that, I mean, what are you thinking for him? Because you tell me what you think kind of out of all of those little things that you think it would be best if you were just going to pick two things to really, really focus on speech-wise or pre-linguistic-wise. What what do you think the most important pieces are for him just based on what we've talked about and what he can already do? Probably the joint attention and the gestures, getting him to point to things 
in the room. But yeah. I don't know how to get, I mean, do I just do it hand over hand? Like, because I, I can pick up on Caden and know what he's wanting. Do I just get him to point to it before he does it? You know, he's got to just, okay, first of all, he can point to things, right? So the motoric yes. piece is there, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so you're just going to have to really give him lots of opportunities to point. You're just going to, and again, okay. you're going to have to double down on what you know that he can do. And so you may have to play some games, too, or where, you know, you're holding up his drink and stuff. And I know that you're having him sign, and that's an, those are other gestures that we didn't talk about. So keep on with your, with your signs because that's certainly super, super impo- important. But just getting him, maybe, um, is he reaching? Hannah, when he wants something, yes. he's reaching for it already, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And so the other thing that you said that, you know, with a field of four, I would do that. I would just give him a ton of choices as just through the day and, you know, really get him to point to which one he wants. And you could do your sign too. But I, I would I would do a lot of, you know, okay, you know, show me, show me what you want, and then just really model pointing. And you may say point, and, you know, that makes sense for you. A lot of, because you're, you know, a crazy speech therapist anyway. <laughs> but a lot of parents, <laughs> they would feel weird about giving their kid that really direct kind of cue with point. You know, so show me what you want. Tell me which one you want. Those kinds of cues are fine too. But I would probably double down on the pointing and really see if he can use that, because that's going to be, if he can initiate a request with a point, that would be further than what he's doing right now communicatively, right? Right, yeah. And that would not always leave it up to you to Mm -hmm. initiate and to start with what his requests are. He would have another way to really, really let you know what he wants. And, again, I'm not telling you to discontinue your signs or anything that you're doing, but certainly I bet if you can get that little, as I have said to parents before, that little pointer machine going, mm-hmm. that is going to help give him a way to initiate when that's already really, really hard for him. So that's right. something I would really, really work on. And I would do it a, really a, a lot of just visual choices where you're holding up two things and hold them really far apart so that, you know, even if it ends up at the beginning, if it looks more like a reach than a point, that's okay. And talk to OT about helping him really isolate that little index finger and mm-hmm. and look at motorically what you can um, get going with that. And so you're already doing the prerequisites for that. This is just your next logical step because you're already working on imitating so many different actions with the objects and so many different actions with his little body. So this is just kind of the next extension. And let me just say, though, for Parents listening, and even for you, Hannah, pointing is like the ultimate gesture, and it is so hard for so many kids. So it's going to take mm-hmm. a while, and you're probably going to have to be super deliberate about it, but I think that would make a real difference for him. Because, too, it's also linked to joint attention with uh, what we talked about with him looking at what you're talking about. And if he is really and, – and so you're going to naturally, to teach him how to point, you're going to do a lot of pointing too. And that's going to really mm-hmm. strengthen that skill as well because you're going to model it, you know, 3,000 times a day when you're with him okay. uh, because you're going to work on him doing it expressively too, but it's also going to get that that underlying piece where he's looking first at what you're pointing to. So to me, it sounds like that's a good way to go because you're going to kind of kill three birds with one stone there with him paying more attention, with joint attention, with him paying attention to that with you, with him being able to use that on his own as another gesture that he's not using yet and a way for him to initiate. 
Okay. So does that make sense? Absolutely. I just think yeah, I think through all this, it just tells me that we just need to take a step back, and we're just I think we're just trying to target too many things. But he has so much potential, and he he's picked up on a little bit of so many of them that it's hard to narrow it down to know what to do. So I think these steps will be very helpful. Yeah, and that's what I would do. And sometimes really less is more. And so if you'll just think, okay, all these 18 goals that we, you know, all my three different therapists, you know, plus schools working on different stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, all that, it's great because he needs all of those things. But like you said, it ends up, you end up with too many scattered skills. It ends up with too many things that he can almost do, and there's not really mastery. So I would you know, kind of take a step back, and you may not be able to make this decision today. This may be something that you have to think about over the next couple of weeks. And good Lord, hardly any of us can start anything new at Christmas. You know, it's such a chaotic <laughs> time anyway. But to really kind of take a step back and think, okay, what are two things, three things max that I'm really going to focus on with him and really, really try to get going and just it's not that you won't do these other things, but they just won't be as important as really, really doubling down and making, you know, getting him some solid skills in this area. And let me tell you, initiation, I think, is huge for him. And there, I, we're mm-hmm. at the end of the show, and we're, you know, not going to do a two-hour show about this or whatever. Um, but you, I mean, what I sort of want to do is have you back in a few weeks. I want to send you the therapy manual. <laughs> And I want you to read the chapters on joint attention, gestures, and initiation and look at some of these things. And would you be willing to come back? And I mean, it's kind of putting you on the spot here after the first of the year and let's kind of talk about where he is with those particular areas and then we'll narrow down some goals even more from what you've been able to do just kind of reading and, and this more specific focus. Would you Absolutely, be willing to do that? Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Okay. So let's do that, but let me give you another couple of really quick ideas, especially for pointing here. I really want you to, um, again, hold up those visual cues and stuff. And listen, I want you to, you're still going to give him the verbal cues with, you know, show me what you want, tell me what you want, because he needs that. But I would just hold out a little bit longer to see if he can uh, make that little leap on his own. And then when he doesn't, then you jump in with your physical assistance to help him really uh, reach for it and start to begin to point and look at um, what he wants. So, again, you're kind of waiting him out with that initiation piece. And keep doing what you're doing. Um, with Mickey Mouse, what you're sort of really doing is environmental sabotage. You're not turning on the show until he lets you know that he wants the show. And so what I would try to do is pick two or three, five, maybe two other things that you know he really likes and set up situations where he has to really ask for those. So if it's a light-up toy, if it's a music toy, I would try to put those where they're out of reach. I mean, is he a climber? He's not going to go try to, you know, hurt himself no. by trying to get them himself, no. right? <laughs> but put them where they're out of reach so that he really, really... 
again, he already has the potential to come and get you and bring you to what he wants you to do. So just try to think, okay, what two other things can I do that with? And that's how you expand initiation is you pick the most motivating things that you can think of and you set up situations where he's not really, you're not, you're going to show him, but he has limited access until he really indicates in some way, whatever possible, that he wants that before he gets it. Okay. Going back to like the, the thing where he'll try to let me know that he wants Mickey Mouse. If I don't cue him, so this is totally the initiation part again, all he'll do is whine. He will whine and whine and whine, and I know he's trying to tell me he wants something, and most of the time he's trying to tell me he wants to watch Mickey. He has to wait for me to say, what do you want, Caden, or show me what you want. And that's when, if I say, Caden, show me, then he'll go sit down in his chair and he will sign Mickey. But he will never walk up to me, get my attention, and sign Mickey Mouse. It's all he waits for me to say, he'll whine, and then he'll wait for me to say, what do you want? So do I keep doing that? Do I keep giving you know what? him You're that gonna have to keep doing. You're going to have to keep doing it because he's just not there yet. But wh- okay. what, do you, what does he do if you say, if you try to guess wrong? If you say, oh, you want something to drink, let Mommy get you a drink. Does he get more persistent? I mean, see, to me it sounds like yes. you're reading his mind so much. He will get more persistent. Yeah. He'll just okay. if I if I say we're not going to watch Mickey Mouse right now, then he'll just whine. He'll the cry of the whine will get worse, and eventually it'll turn to actual tears. Um, right. So he definitely he picks up on it, and he's going to be more persistent. But it's still not that he will sign and tell me what he wants. I would not remove that. I would just wait a little bit. But I, you're not going to be able to just go cold turkey with saying, "Well, dang it, Caden, I'm just not going to give it to you until you." You know, that's mean. <laughs> you're not going to be mean. You know what I mean. You know, you know what I mean by that. You know, you're just not. Right. So just keep giving that support. I would probably, I would just keep, I would just keep cueing in, but I would probably add some different things. You know, add some choices. But that's in a good there, idea. So. Saying like, if, if he comes up to me whining and I'm reading his mind and I know what he wants, then just say, oh, are you wanting a book? Are you wanting right. to get a drink? And then see uh-huh. what he does. Maybe. Okay. To see what he does and offer him some alternatives that you know he doesn't want to do. And does he shake his okay. head no? Does he ref- know how to refuse? With the he shakes only if he's imitating me. He's not using it communicatively. Okay. Well, you can. that's another thing. I mean, that really falls in line with this working on gestures, too. Offer him things that you know he's not going to want when he wants Mickey Mouse. And then, you know, you can model the head shake no, but just... You know, make it more subtle. Don't make it as big as, you know, your big, you know, I can tell you've already worked on being animated and super uh, super model for him. Just just maybe pull back on your cues and make them not as obvious as they were before. Do you see what I mean? You just start pulling back a little yeah. bit and see what it will do with that. Listen, there's another post that I want to recommend to you. I wrote it. Um, it's pretty new on the website, maybe mm, 10 days old maybe. It's prompting hierarchy for late talkers. And so it really kind of walks through um, how we kind of wake kids out and don't give them any kind of cue at all, all the way through the physical assistance cue. So take a look at that, too, and that will give you some different ideas with how I can pull back on my cues a little bit. I'm not always going to tell them exactly what to do, but you might try a little carrier phrase. You might say, oh, you want, mmm, and see if he'll... Uh, or, you know, sort of start to put your hand up to sign Mickey Mouse and just see if that 
that you're you're getting him started, but you're not doing the full model of what you want him to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Pull it back a little bit. And so take a look at that mm-hmm. article. I'll try to email it to you too. But um, for other parents and therapists who are listening, there's a prompting hierarchy, and it's kind of based on what kids would do with um, AAC devices and, you know, just expressively with uh, when kids are verbal and are talking, but just other ways to cue that, again, you don't go full on telling them exactly what they need to do, but we, we pull it back sequentially. So there's a nice hierarchy there too. And I don't know exactly what you're doing, and you may not be – cueing him the same way every time. But that will give you some different ideas of ways you can cue that are just a little less directive, and that will help him mm-hmm. learn to initiate a little bit too. So take a look at that okay. and see what you think about that. All right, so kind of wrapping up, gestures to communicate, and you know, you're going to keep on with your signs with him, working on more joint attention strategies for that, and then the initiation piece. I'm going to send you the book I'm going to write some ideas on the post about the show, so I'll send you that little written summary too, but for anybody else that's listening, we didn't get to quite talk about as many different treatment ideas because we went through the checklist kind of figuring out what he could and couldn't do. But I think those areas are enough to kind of get you started, and I think it's or or kind of give you some new direction. And I think my biggest takeaway for you if I were working with you directly, Hannah, would be saying to you, you're doing a great job. You just want to get more in-depthly focused on less, uh, fewer skills than trying to do so many at once. Okay. Okay, that's what I would do. Okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. right. Any other last-minute kind of questions? And we're still going to talk because I still want you to come back I want to go ahead and we'll have another, you know, kind of side conversation and talk about like the second week in January. I want you to come back and talk about, you know, sort of how you're feeling about all this after you've reined in sort of what you're working on and really doubled down on on being more specific about a few little things and see how that's going too. And you're going to have the ideas that I've uh, written in the post. But, I mean, can you think of anything else that you want to talk about before we're we're finished here? Yes, I do, and this is for any professional or parent that is listening, and I promise on everything that Laura did not ask me to say this or tell me to say this, but all of her continuing education, all of her guides, everything that I have read has been so easy to understand and perfect for what I am trying to do with my son, and she provides examples and videos and it's just I've done a lot of continuing education where I come out of it and I've read a lot of information or I've been told a lot of information but there's nothing that really tells me okay what am I going to do in my therapy session or what am I going to do with my son and Laura's stuff is not like that so if you're a parent that doesn't know what to do just go to Laura's website and look at some of this stuff, and if you can, get some of her videos. But, Laura, I mean, really, I don't think you understand what you've done for me and my husband. And my husband, who is not a speech therapist. I'm just going to ball. Oh, thank you so much. That is so sweet. You're embarrassing me to death, but thank you so much. I'm (laughs) a words kind of girl, as most of us speech pathologists are, and that just means the world to me. Thank you so much for saying that. And I did not expect or ask or anything but no, she did not ask for any endorsements but i i really do mean it and i really do want parents and and professionals to know that this stuff is very helpful and my husband even sits down and watches these videos with me and he's like oh we can do this with Kaden." so 
Laura, thank you, and thank you for bringing me on the show. It's been very, very helpful. You're so welcome. You are so welcome. And listen, I know this new book is really going to give you great ideas. And, again, I wanted to be more specific about these therapy activities, but we're going to bring you back in a month after you've had a chance to read the book. I'm shipping it to you myself on Monday. (laughs) Look at some of these strategies and stuff, and then we're going to talk about those three areas when you come back with initiation, with joint attention, and with using more gestures and see, kind of see what okay. what's happened. And, but, again, let me just say, don't be too hard on, hard on yourself either because it's Christmas and everybody is, you know, all our schedules are different and it's all, you know, the most chaotic time of the year. So even if you can't make huge gains this next month, your biggest job is just going to be think about it and to plan okay. and to and to really kind of corral, you know, instead of working on 15 different areas, we're going to focus on these two or three and see what we can do. So that that's your that's your month long homework, Hannah. <laughs> Before we uh, have another thing to kind, of, and that's what all parents need to do. You know, sometimes it's so we just kind of jump in there and we start with we're going to try these 50 things and just see what works. And, again, I said it before, we end up with kids who just do a little bit of everything and don't really master much of anything. So we we have to kind of bring it back to where it's realistic and reasonable. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. What a great show. And I know you've just helped so many parents with your honesty and with your willingness to share. And I so appreciate all the uh, verbal uh, praise that you gave me. Uh, Gosh, you just don't know how much that means to me. That was great. But I know this has been so helpful for so many parents. So thanks so much, and I can't wait to have you back in a month. But I'm going to email you that other stuff. Thank you for having me. uh, You're welcome. All right, that's it for today. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.